Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Get ready, cause here I come. On my way. Get ready, cause here I come. Addition, a little Motown seemed appropriate as the 3-2 and two Bengals head to the Motor City to try to keep the 0-5 Lions winless. Coming up, I'll talk to one of the guys who will call the game on TV for Fox this Sunday, former Dallas Cowboys Pro Bowl fullback Daryl Johnston. My one-on-one player interview this week is with one of the Bengals' highest-graded players so far this year, according to Pro Football Focus, defensive tackle DJ Reader. Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the latest Bengals news and answer some questions you submitted via Twitter. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we discuss why the Lions don't have a win with the host of the Locked On Lions podcast, Matt Derry. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play, next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the official trailer for Get Back. This week, a three-minute, 58-second trailer was released to preview a three-part documentary about the Beatles called Get Back. Just when you thought there couldn't possibly be anything new out there about the band, they've unearthed never-before-seen, crystal-clear footage gathered from 1969 leading up to the Beatles' final live performance on a rooftop in London. If you haven't seen it yet, check out that trailer for Get Back. The three-part series should be incredible for lovers of the original Fab Four. Now, time to go from the Beatles to the Bengals, beginning with one of the guys who will call this week's game in Detroit. He was the best fullback of his era, and he'll be in the booth for Fox this Sunday, former Dallas Cowboys great Daryl Moose Johnston. Daryl, you had the Bengals in week one, that overtime victory against the Minnesota Vikings. What stood out about Cincinnati when you called that game? Uh, really, the, the big thing for me was the resiliency, you know, through that game. Um, you know, a team that's that's made a lot of splash in the offseason uh, with some of the, the free agent acquisitions and, and then the draft. Uh, there's expectations coming in. Uh, and then you get into a game. And those are the areas where you want to see if you've taken that next step. You know, how, how quickly has that talent that we assembled in the offseason come together? And, and that was really the one thing that I was impressed with. Um, you know, there were moments there for a Minnesota team that's been together for a long time and uh, had some high expectations uh, for their own team coming into that opener. And it, it, at times it looked like there was a chance that they could kind of take that game away. And uh, I, I thought the resiliency of the Bengals was, was very impressive in week one uh, w- with everything that they'd done in the offseason to kind of validate that not only do we have talent, but we're starting to come together as a team and we're going to be able to fight through some of this adversity. Let's talk a little bit about Joe Burrow. You were drafted in the second round by the Cowboys in 1989, the same year they took Troy Aikman number one overall. So you saw his growth from one in 15 as a rookie to Super Bowl champion in year four. Do you see any parallels where Joe Burrow is concerned? You know, that's it's funny you ask that because uh, in the production meeting and, and one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I wanted to come up to Cincinnati, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of times we're going to do things via zoom nowadays uh, in our prep, in our preparation, but I really wanted to be able to sit across from Joe Burrow um, and, and Zach Taylor and really kind of get a feel for who they are as, is as, as men, as much as who they are as football coaches and quarterbacks. And 
I was really impressed with Joe. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was very purposeful. Um, he, he reminded me of Troy that way. Troy's very serious uh, when it comes to the game. You know, it kind of seemed like he was already kind of sliding into that, that pregame mentality, uh, you know, on a Friday afternoon. And that was very similar to Troy. Uh, you know, he got more and more serious as, as we got through the course of the week and, and moved into the weekend. So um, I, I thought just from a personality standpoint, you could see, uh, you could see the seriousness, the purposefulness, uh, but but then also, you know, very, very conversational with us, very open to sharing information. Um, so, you know, for a younger guy in the NFL here in, in, in season two for him uh, coming off that big injury, I, I, I was impressed. And I'm, and I'm glad we got to see that face to face because I don't know if you would have saw that via Zoom call. Um, so that was something that, that, that I felt was very beneficial coming out of week one. Our guest is three-time Super Bowl champ Daryl Johnston. As you prepared for week one, you heard about and read about Jamar Chase's pre-games, uh, pre-season struggles uh, with dropping the football, and then he was great against the Vikings, and he's been outstanding in the first five weeks. What do you think of Jamar and the Bengals receiving group as a whole? Well, I think that that's going to be probably the, the, the big tide turner this weekend against the Lions. Um, yeah, you know, Jamar Chase, you know, going through camp, you have some drops. I think we all go through drops at, at a certain point in our career. You know, I had a, a training camp where I stayed after practice for three consecutive days. I mean, it was just simple things. And, and, it, and it gets into your head and you just continue to work and grind and try and get it out of there. And, and, and I think that that's exactly what happened to Jamar Chase. It was just odd that it was, you know, in, in his training camp of his rookie season, uh, with all these expectations that were placed on him. So I think a lot of people, me included, might have made out made that out to mean a little bit more. But you could hear his teammates talk about it. Hey, listen, we watch how he's working at practice. He's doing everything to kind of work himself out of this. Um, you know, that was the big thing, I think, in week one, was his performance there kind of solidifies that the work he had put in to kind of remedy that situation, you know, had paid off. And, and since that time, we, we've seen him make a number of fantastic catches uh, you know, there, there was one, you know, the, the, the go route uh, down the left side, the one time when he caught the back end of the football, uh, you know, that's, uh, that was outstanding. Um, so yeah, his confidence is just going to continue to grow. Uh, I, I think when you, you put them together with everybody else that they have there, uh, you talk about trios of wide receivers being able to, you know, kind of roll out that 13 personnel, uh, you know, the three wides and the one running back, one tight end uh, that's become very, very popular in the NFL. When you've got the, the wide receiver group that, that Cincinnati does, um, you know, that's that's going to be very difficult for people to defend. And, and I think it was something that we saw last week in Minnesota, uh, you know, being able to roll out Thielen uh, and, and Justin Jefferson against Detroit. But they've also got that identity of, of wanting to run the football. And, and we thought maybe they'd back off that a little bit with Dalvin Cook out. But they they got a little bit stubborn with the run game. Um, and the, the, the great matchups were in the past game. I mean, Justin Jefferson got off to a tremendous start, had 100 yards by halftime. Um, so I, I expect Cincinnati to do the same thing. I think they're going to challenge uh, Detroit in their secondary uh, because of the injuries that they've had and, and how young they are and, and how much their, their margin for error to win a football game is, is so razor thin. Um, you know, that's where the matchups are going to be for, for Cincinnati and, and how much do they commit to that. Frank Pollock coached in Dallas after your playing days, so I don't know how well you know him personally, if at all, but do you see the Bengals' offensive line making progress under his coaching? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's actually, you know, on my to-do list, I'd love to have the opportunity to maybe visit with Coach Pollock, you know, uh, away from the production meeting just to kind of pick his brain a little bit. Um, you know, he's one of those, those coaches at the offensive line position that you hear about uh, that just seems to make a huge difference when he gets into an organization, kind of like Bill Callahan has done throughout his career in the NFL. It seems that his offensive lines are, are just always very, very uh, technique sound, uh, you know, very, very physical, uh, work really, really well as a, as a group of five. 
Um, and, and you can see that you can see the growth from week one till now already. Uh, you know, I, I went back and watched, you know, the Pittsburgh game uh, just to see how they did there, uh, you know, for, for that group to break that streak, you know, Pittsburgh had had a sack in 75 consecutive games and, and they kept Joe Burrow clean that entire game. That's impressive. You know, Pittsburgh was, you know, kind of in the midst of, of kind of figuring things out, but, but that's still a very, very sound defense, very, very strong defense. So I think that that's a huge stepping stone for that group on the offensive line. And, and when you watch them run the football, you know, one of the big things that that's the most important for an offensive line is to stay on your feet, you know, continue to push, continue to stay on your feet. Don't get on the ground. You know, we used to call them OTGs, you know, sometimes, you know, your, your, your offensive lineman can, can create as much a distraction as a defensive player who, who's in the, the, the running lane because they're on the ground. So I think that, that Frank does a great job and his guys do a great job of just staying up keeping their feet moving. Uh, the, the, the zone blocking schemes are, are very effective. Um, you've got good runners behind uh, with Joe Mixon and Samaje Pirine. Uh, so it just, it's, it's impressive to watch, you know, when that unit really starts to come together. And from week one uh, until now, just kind of going back and watching the film, you can see the growth of those, those five guys. Former Pro Bowl fullback Daryl Johnston is our guest. As you noted, you had the Lions game last week in Minnesota. They're 0-5, but in two out of their last three games, they had the lead in the final minute and lost on a really long field goal, 66 and 54 yards. What are the strengths of the Lions right now? Uh, their resiliency, their grit. Um, you know, there, there's, there's always a little bit of a talent deficiency when you're going through a rebuild. Um, and, and the Lions are in the middle of that right now. And, and to... to you know, to add to that, they've had some key injuries, uh, you know, rush in, secondary. Uh, it's just, it's made it really challenging for them. Uh, you know, the, the Taylor Decker, their starting left tackle, got hurt, you know, getting ready for week one. Uh, their starting center, who some people consider to be, you know, one of the best centers in the NFL, uh, you know, got hurt the week before Minnesota's game. So it just, it, it seems like every week it's a similar scenario for Detroit, where they're, they're losing heartbreaking games. They're losing key players on the team, yet every Monday they come back to work and get ready to play. Uh, you know, that, that's a testament to Dan Campbell and what, what he's building uh, in Detroit. So, you know, as, as opponents, when you're getting ready for the Detroit Lions, you have to understand that they will give you everything they have for 60 minutes. Your, your talent level may be superior to what they have right now, but if they play a clean game, uh, they're going to stretch you to the end. And, and that's what I think we're seeing. And, and even without these clean games, and, and that's one of the things that Dan will say is we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. So, you know, if, if Detroit catches somebody on a, on a Sunday afternoon where they're playing a clean football game, it, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough out for people. They remind me a lot of my 1989 team here in Dallas uh, that finished one in 15. You know, I, I never believed that we were one in 15 team um, because there were, there were opportunities for us to win games. We should have been four and 12 or, or maybe even five and 11, but we just did not know how to win a game. And I see a lot of that with the Detroit Lions right now. You know, there, there's a ton of fight in them. There's talent that you're going to see grow down the down the road, but but they just don't know how to finish those games. They don't know how to close them out and get that victory. You certainly learned how to win in Dallas with three Super Bowl titles. Final question for Daryl Moose Johnson. I appreciate your time. If you were an NFL GM or head coach, would your roster include a fullback? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I still think it's a very valuable position and we're starting to see guys, uh, you know, around the league uh, do what I think is necessary to really bring it back. I, I think the fullback in today's game has to be able to break formation and go outside 
um, and and give the uh, give the defense a challenge in a matchup. You know, who are you going to put out there? Are you going to put a linebacker out there? And is he athletic enough that that's considered a mismatch on the outside? But then you've also got to be able to come in and be an effective lead blocker because that's that's the bread and butter of the fullback position. But we're starting to see that. Kyle Juszczyk is a great example of that out in San Francisco. Uh, we're seeing teams that are coming off that that Kyle Shanahan tree, um, you know, going back years to his dad, going back all the way to the to the Kubiak era. Um, you know, that that offense that, that values that running game and for formational flexibility. You know, I, I think that that's a great opportunity, uh, you know, for the fullback position to start to make a resurgence in the NFL. But the problem is we've gotten away from it so much at the collegiate level that there's not really a pipeline coming to the NFL with a true traditional fullback that can do the things that we talked about. So you're trying to convert, you're trying to convert an outside linebacker, you're trying to convert a tight end. Uh, and, and the fullback, uh, the fullback position is very unique. Uh, you know, you're, you're not close to the, to the people you're blocking. It comes from, from distance. You're separated by anywhere from, you know, six to eight to 10 yards. Uh, and, th and those collisions can be violent at times. So, you know, really, you know, the fullback position is, is not all about technique as much as it is about mentality. And, and if you haven't been in that position and learned how to do that and develop that mentality of that style of play, it's, it's hard to convert somebody who's worked at the line of scrimmage with only about, you know, you know, six inches to, to a yard of separation for those, those collisions and that contact. So hopefully we'll see some of the collegiate teams start to bring back the fullback position, which will help the NFL teams find valuable guys to, to fill that role. But absolutely. I'll scour the entire country. If I ever get an opportunity to make sure I've got a good fullback in that offense. Well, I know that Emmett Smith is happy. He had a great one in Dallas. I appreciate your time. Have a great call this Sunday. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good luck to you guys. Up next, my one-on-one -on -one visit with defensive tackle DJ Reader, who is part of a position group that's been dominant in the first five weeks of the season. DJ, I want to start with pro football focus rankings for defensive tackles mm. in the NFL. You're number six. Josh Tupo is number 15. BJ Hill is number 18. That's three Bengals in the top 20. Do you think people realize how good the middle of the Bengals defense is playing so far? Um, you know, I think uh, people recognize that we're playing well. Uh, those are nice to have, but not something that we pay too much attention to. But, you know, I think we're playing good as a group together. I think uh, a lot of guys are going there giving great effort and playing very hard. You know, they're prideful about what they do to come to work, to, to work hard every day, and it's something that we're really trying to correct. Here's a number that does matter. Okay. You're seventh in the NFL in points allowed. Mm. That includes a pick six and a field goal in the Chicago game where the Bears started at the nine-yard line. Take those ten points away, and you're number four in the NFL in points allowed. What has the Bengals' defense done especially well, in your opinion? I think we do a good job of uh, bending, not breaking. I think um, in the red zone we do a good job. You know, we... We have a lot of long, we force teams to make long drives. Uh, we don't give up too many big plays, you know, try to do a good job of limiting those and forcing long drives. And I think, you know, when our back against the wall in the red zone, especially, we bow up. We're chatting with DJ Reader. Is there anything on defense that's disappointed you so far? No, you know, just not getting wins. I feel like a couple of the games has been on us and uh, we've done a good job, but we just got to take that step forward and get a couple of those turnovers at the end to go our way or things just to go our way. Selling that thing. I think on third down, we got to do a lot better of getting off the field. Um, I think we've done a decent job, but sometimes, you know, I think we give up big third downs that we should be correcting. So I think that's a that's the thing as a team that we got to get better at. You've played in a lot of football games. Yeah. Have you ever played in one with more emotional swings as that uh, game had last week? 
if I have, I can't remember. Uh, but, you know, it was fun to play in. You know, you know, it was one of those fights. And it's kind of crazy after watching that back boxing match the night before, uh, that Wilder and Fury match, and then coming back and having that game and just kind of everybody just throwing punches back and forth. And it was a fun game to play in. You know, guys play hard. We're chatting with DJ Reader. You missed the last 11 games last year with a torn quadriceps. Where was your tear, and how severe was it? Uh, I ruptured the tendon, um, so it was pretty severe. Uh, it's a beginning of surgery. It's first six weeks, can't move. It's a nine-month rehab. Uh, so it was just it was a long little process. Uh, it's kind of a 50, 50% return rate. Hmm. It's not very high, but, you know, it's it's gotten better, you know, with modern medicine and, you know, just everything. You know, surgeons have gotten a lot better, so... Uh, it was just one of those things that, you know, we attacked, and it was it was crazy. It was a hard journey, but, you know, it came back, and I feel really good and confident in the leg. Could you stand up and sit down? Could you sleep? What normal activities became uh, impossible? Not really at the beginning of, like I said, the first six weeks, you can't move it. Like, it's straight because the tendon has to repair. And then, you know, after that, the tendon's strong, so then you start bending it maybe 25 degrees and, 50 degree and it just it, it sucks all the way up until that point like it's just it, it's really really rough but you know I think sleeping was probably the hardest thing you know because you can't move at all you got to sleep on your back you got to sleep straight you're in a brace um, so that's a little rough all right you got the Lions this week mm-hmm. they're on five they're in the rebuild, rebuilding stage but based on everything I've read and heard they are playing extremely hard does mm-hmm. that stand out when you watch them on tape yeah they uh they play tough they play physical um they really brought into what their coach is saying um you know it's a team that's rebuilding but you know there's, there's a lot of guys over there who play ball and they've won they understand the game so they're playing really really hard and you know you can't look at it as anything like that any given Sunday anybody can be beaten so you got to go in there and you got to really put up your dukes and you got to go in there for a fight because that's just what's going to happen. The coach broke down in tears after the game last mm-hmm. week because he wanted his guys to win so badly. If you were playing for that guy, how would you feel this week? Uh, you want to run through a wall for that guy. You know, you'd be amped up to go out there and play. And um, I think that's, that's just how it feels, uh, you know, especially losing tough games when you can't really seem to get things right. And you want to win so bad. I think, you know, it's similar to how we felt in our locker room last week. You know, it was tough. It was gut-wrenching. You got to want to go back out there and be hungry the next Sunday to go out there and really steal and win it a dub. Last question for DJ Reader and a topic I've never asked you about. Yeah. You're David Vernon Reader Jr., yes. so DJ is short for David Jr. Mm-hmm. Your son is not David the Third. Mm-hmm. He's Rocky, mm-hmm. as in Rocky Balboa. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, me and my dad always watched those movies. Um, we watched all the Rocky movies. Um, that was a thing that me and my dad did a lot. I, I was homeschooled to the sixth grade, so I spent a lot of time with my dad. And so, you know, I really want to name him Rocky, and that's really what we went with. And if you see him, he really it fits his name. He's rambunctious. <laughs> he he moves around. He's a wild kid. He's fearless. So um, it it means a lot that he has that name, and, you know, it kind of really fits him. Rocky Reader sounds like an athlete. Yeah, hopefully he is. Uh, he, he's got some decent coordination right now, but we'll see. You know, he's a smart kid, and I just love him. He's always got a good smile on his face, and he's a funny kid. Just like that. Yeah. Appreciate your time. Best no. of luck this week. No problem. Thank you. DJ is 27 years old and in the second year of a four-year, $53 million contract. It looks like money well spent by the Bengals. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences 
all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time to bring my broadcast partner Dave Lapham to discuss the latest Bengals news and answer some of the Ask Lap questions you submitted on Twitter. Lap, the Bengals are 3-2. and two. They're on a pace to go 10-7. and seven. If the season ended today, they would be the AFC's fifth seed in the playoffs. The Browns and Chiefs would be out. Schedule is obviously a huge factor so far. I wish the season did end today if that were the case. But here's the interesting part to me. They've got a winning record despite a below average offense. Joe Burrow is seventh in passer rating. Jamar Chase is seventh in receiving yards. Joe Mixon is fifth in rushing yards. But they haven't scored more than 24 in regulation yet. What are a few things you would like to see them do better or differently? A lot more uh, a consistency, obviously. You know, they're they're um, they're streaky. <laughs> you know, they're they're up and down. They've only scored uh, 28 points in the second quarter. All of them have come in the final two minutes of the second mm-hmm. quarter. They've only scored 14 points in the first quarter. So that's that's a, a lot of time for over five games, first quarter and up to the final two minutes of the second quarter. Well, you've scored 14 points. You scored 28 points in the final two minutes. That's great. That's tied for second best in the NFL. But man, you can't make a living doing that. You know, you a good example is um, you know this this past football game against a good Green Bay Packer team. Six possessions in the first half, four three and outs, and then two touchdowns. So it's like it's like all or nothing. It's like peaks and valleys, highs and lows. It's it's the graph isn't isn't very very you know even and consistent. So I, I think consistency is probably the biggest thing at almost every position group level. And it, if it, if the consistency improves up front, I think it'll have a big trickle down effect. And and for whatever reason, the level of play, uh, you know, when you when you look at how they played against Pittsburgh and how they played against Jacksonville in the offensive line, it was you know, they only gave up one sack in eight quarters. Green Bay, for whatever reason, gave them trouble. They they just as a as a group offensively. The offensive line had issues giving up edge. Everybody got on a shoulder on an edge and just caused all kinds of grief, all kinds of issues. So that, that's, that's going to pick up. And um, I'd like to see, you know, <laughs> I, get, I guess more consistent performance in the running game. And then there be, might be more of a commitment to the running game if there's more consistency in the running game. They're going to have to, particularly as you get into the second half of the season where the schedule does get tougher, they're going to have to, be a lot more effective, you know, established in some kind of modicum of a ground game. What was Green Bay's blueprint defensively last week, and is that what the Bengals are likely to see going forward until they have more success against it? Yeah, that's that's you wonder. Um, you know, teams around the National Football League are, are copycats, and if they see something, you know, there's the blueprint. There's there's how you stop this. There's how you stop that. Some teams modify their the way they do something based on success they saw and they'll study three games very closely the prior three games and if they see some kind of trend or something that has worked on a consistent basis they'll modify their stuff a little bit to 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 copycat that a lot of times teams they won't wholesale change it i mean they they've established an identity they're not going to say oh because we're playing the cincinnati Bengals, we're going to do this when we never done it before um, but there are going to be there'll probably be some modifications, and, and really what the what the Green Bay Packers decided to do is they played uh, they didn't have a very full box. They had two safeties deep, a high percentage, or two safeties out of the box, a high percentage of the time 
sometimes they were deeper than other times, and they would c- come down quickly as soon as they saw that the ball was going underneath, you know, short intermediate routes. They wouldn't just hang back there. They'd come down and rally up and make plays on the football. Um, so it, when it's it's simply counting the box. I mean, if, if it looks like you have a light box, you got to be able to run it against that and, and make them commit, um, you know, start to bring somebody down into the box and have, have – uh, you know, have have some opportunities in the middle of the football field. Plus, they decided to double Tyler Boyd. They took him away. They said, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna basically crowd the middle of the football field with bodies. We're taking away the middle of the football field from an opportunity standpoint, and that makes the quarterback make longer throws. You know, the ball's in the air longer. If you're throwing from the left hash mark, you can't even. There's really nothing in the middle of the football field over that right side. That ball's in the air a while. So, you know, it's a, it's a sound. Um, a sound scheme if you've and they had confidence even without their best corner they had confidence that they could you know stand up to it on the outside because they they uh they they doubled tyler boyd uh they they also i mean the the guy that was left in one-on-one was higgins they doubled boyd they doubled chase quite a bit as he started to make plays then higgins had the most one-on-one coverage and you know, he didn't make as many plays as he could have made. He, he admits to, you know, some big couple of big drops that were problematic. Whoever it is, whoever they decide to leave in single man coverage, you know, they, they can move around who they're going to double. If Tyler Boyd, for whatever reason, is left in single coverage in the slot, he's got to have a feast. He's got to just make them pay big time. And whatever outside receiver faces uh, single coverage, he's got to win a high percentage of time, not just half the time. You have to win three quarters or more of the time in your one-on-one coverage, and so the quarterback then has confidence to go to you. We are recording this on a Wednesday. As of today, Jackson Carmen is on the COVID list. Xavier Suafilo started the first two games of the year at right guard. He's out with a knee injury. Carmen started the next three at right guard. He's possibly out due to COVID-19. Up next, rookie Deontay Smith. He started 30 games at ECU, 29 at left tackle, one at left guard. How should we feel about the possibility of him making his first NFL start at right guard this week? Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Um, you know, he, he played more left guard even in training camp than he did right because of Suafilo and, you know, their high draft pick, Jackson Carmen, playing that right guard position. But Frank Pollock does move everybody around. I mean, you know, it's a it's a, an equal opportunity scenario for Frank Pollock with with respect to position versatility. Um, it, it is interesting. The right guard position is the only one that's been musical chairs. The others, everybody started, every played every snap, basically, at left tackle, left guard, center, and right tackle. Right guard's the place. Right guard's the – that's, that's got the, the black cloud over it or whatever, for whatever reason. The good news is, just like with Jackson Carmen, he's got Hopkins on one side and Riley Reef on the other. So I think that gives you a sense of comfort when it's your first NFL start at a position that you haven't played a whole heck of a lot, but you understand, you know, the techniques at the at the guard position, having played some left guard and haven't played quite a bit of guard, actually, you know, through preseason game, preseason preseason games and uh, training camp, and and uh, so hopefully he's he's ready, he's up to the task. I think uh, I think he'll mentally be ready to go. And I think the two veterans will help him, and we'll see how it uh, how it pans out. I I'm <laughs> I'm glad he's not going against, you know, some Pro Bowl, you know, Cameron Hayward type that would be. Oh my gosh, welcome to the NFL, son. You know, maybe he can uh, 
he can break in a little bit and, and ease into it. Although I, I think the strength of the Detroit Lions defense and maybe of their football team, one of the strengths is, is how, how, how hard their defensive line plays. So he's certainly not going to have any kind of picnic. It's going to be a, a challenge, a, a, a day at the office. It's going to be a grind it day. You will never hear me get snarky about NFL players with injury problems. I respect all of you guys who are willing to jeopardize your long-term health by playing this game. So that's kind of my prelude to Trey Waynes, who unfortunately has had horrible luck when it comes to injuries since signing his big contract with the Bengals. How big is this loss at that position? I think it's big. You know, I think that uh, they were feeling pretty good about having – you know, two guys that can play the corner position that are both long and athletic and can flip their hips and aren't afraid to tackle people, uh, you know, in Waynes and Cheeto, and they don't have Waynes. And you just you just start to wonder. It's like, all right, some guys are just tighter muscle-wise, the attachments, whatever the case may be, because you, you end up having a pectoral injury just lifting weights. And then both your hamstrings start to give you problems. It's like, man, some guys physiologically are just, you know, put together a little bit differently. And you think, well, just continue to stretch, do yoga, do whatever, you know, work on your flexibility. I'm sure he's doing all of that. I'm sure I saw him with the bands, you know, that you use to to use negative resistance and all that stretching and trying to strengthen, you know, quads, hamstrings, all that sort of thing. He's, He's religiously and diligently using those things at training camp. It's just... Man, some, sometimes guys get in a situation where that's the way they're, they're structured. And I talked about this before, Paul Brown with Isaac Curtis. He was like, look, whatever you need to do to keep your hamstrings loose, you know, if you need to hop out of a drill and stretch for 10 minutes, do it, son. You know, I understand you have world-class speed and you're, you're cut high, you know, <laughs> you get those long legs, those long hamstrings, and you're a high-waisted guy. And, that, you know, we got, we got to make sure you're right with that world-class speed. So, yeah, every, everybody's different in that regard. And the thing is, you know, there's, there was never any tag on him on anything like that when he came down from Minnesota. You know, it's like he hadn't had these issues. Now all of, all of a sudden every muscle in his body seems to be really tight and he's pulling them or ripping them or tearing them. I took a look at some pro football focus grades earlier today. Here are the highest rated players on the roster relative to their position group on offense and defense. Joe Mixon, number four among NFL running backs. DJ Reader, number six among interior defensive linemen. When it comes to Reader, his job doesn't come with gaudy statistics. Do you consider him one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL? He is. He is what he is told to do and what his assignment is to do. He does his job. You know, you hear coaches all the time, just do your job. Don't try to be a hero. Don't try to do too much. Do your job, and then other people around you will be able to do their job. And that's DJ Reader. And it's not going to show up necessarily in a bunch of statistics, you know, in terms of tackles, assists, and all that sort of thing. But if they kept the stat on successful double-team consumption, (laughs) you know, he'd be right up there. And, And Logan Wilson's tied for ninth in the NFL in terms of total tackles because of D.J. Reader, or a big part of it is D.J. Reader allowing him to be untouched and come downhill and quick uh, quick diagnosis, go down and explode, blow it up. Um, so it, it, it's, it does, you know, the glove has to fit the hand, as O.J. said. You know, I mean, it's one of those kind of deals there. So I, I, think, I think he is 
playing at a very, very high level. And I, I thought he got shafted as I looked at the uh, game again. Um, on the third and one, when they stopped Dylan, and uh, on, on the th- he, DJ basically threw a leg up up there, and, and, and try he was trying frantically to just throw something up up there in that area as as part of the stop in the play, and he got called for tripping, which you could see why the referee called that, but he missed the hold in the throwdown. I mean, the offensive lineman tackled him and mm-hmm. threw him to the ground, and DJ's at that point just you know trying to get something done. So when you only see the end of the play and you make the call, that can be really frustrating. And I'm sure he was really – when he got up and he was so vociferous about the call, I thought, geez, you know, you really did that. But then when I saw the whole thing, I'm like, oh, no wonder. I mean, he's going, he's going nuts because what about the holding penalty that occurred? You know, you didn't, see, you didn't see the whole thing. And, you know, in his mind, it should have been an offset, if, if worst-case scenario. But it cost his football team big time. Instead of punting away, the Green Bay Packers, you know, continue a drive and get points out of it. Lap, let's spend a couple minutes on the Lions before we get to some questions from Twitter followers. They're 0-5. They're in rebuilding mode. What are the big concerns for the Bengals in this game? I think the big concern is don't take it for granted. You know, they've, uh, they've been in a lot of football games. They, they, they're going to play hard. Their head coach is very emotional. You saw him be very vulnerable after the, the loss. They just uh, they suffered to the Minnesota Vikings 19 to 17. They lost to the Ravens 19 to 17 on a historic 66-yard field goal that shouldn't have even happened because there was a you know the clock expired. It should have been a 71-yard attempt, and then Minnesota beats them at the gun as well. So uh, they've they've been in you know just about every football game. They've lost two road games in the division. Lost to the Bears by 10 and the Green Bay Packers by double-digit figures as well. Eight-point loss to San Francisco. I mean, it's not like they've been destroyed. They were in those football games uh, for a good period of time. You know, the, the thing the Bengals have to do is, we talked about earlier, how they haven't come out, or, out of the gate well yet. They have to in this football game. Because if they don't, the Detroit Lions are going to have the feeling, this is the week. You know, it looks like we might be able to get this done here. Um, you're going to have to squash that any, any hope of that. You're going to have to just jump on them with both feet right away and say it's not going to be this week and you guys gear up for next week because it's not happening today and you know I think I think the way you got to do that is um, defensively they the Lions utilize their running back and their tight end pretty exclusively they're leading receivers by a good margin and they get a lot of yards after catch yards after contact tackling is going to be a big deal in the football game, you can't leave your teammate out there one on one. You're gonna have to get, you know, run to the football, gang tackle, leverage properly, you know, all those kind of things. If you're having trouble in the secondary with communication, like you had against the Green Bay Packers, simplify. Paul Brown used to say, "I thought you guys understood. You know, I thought you guys could grasp all this. Obviously, you've shown me you can't. We're gonna shrink it down to these couple of things, and if you show me you can handle these, we'll add another one, and we'll add another one. But we're not gonna do all this." You know, five different things if you can't handle them. So, and that always worked. You know, you think, ah, it's too simple. If you're doing it right, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be better off than trying to get too cute and not do it right at all. That's you know, it's it's self defeating. There's no question about it. So, I think I think that's gonna be a, a big factor. I think third down is gonna be a big factor. I was looking at third down, Dan. The Lions are 15 of 49. I mean, they're second in the NFL, 30.6%. But they haven't been in third down very much. I guess teams have been beating them on first and second down, and that's what the Bengals should be thinking about doing. Because you look at the Bengals' numbers, they're 31 of 73, as opposed to 15 of 49. The Bengals have been in third down a ton. 
third and offensively, third and short a ton, but I mean third down defensively a ton. And uh, they're allowing over 42%, 18th in the league. So, I mean, I think third down's going to be a big deal. Um, you know, I think that's going to be a, a factor in the football game. And, uh, you know, I think, I think you know, like I said, you just can't, uh, you, you can't let a trap game occur. I think that's the biggest thing. The mindset has to be right. You can't let a tough loss against the Green Bay Packers turn into, you know, a two-game losing streak or, God forbid, a three- or four-game losing streak. You have to nip it in the bud and uh, just rebound, uh, compartmentalize, and, and roll. All right. I shine the ask lap signal into the Twitter sky. Here are a few questions from Twitter followers. We start with Pete. What's the problem with the screen game, specifically running back screens? I feel like we have the players to be successful, but they seem to get blown up every time. Yeah, you know, the, the that's something that Detroit does exceptionally well. They, they'll screen to their running back. They'll screen to their tight end, Hawkinson. They'll screen to receivers. They run every screen known to man. Hmm. So that's a key, another key in this football game, handle the screen game. And I'd like to see the Bengals be the best screen team in this football game as well because it, a screen game is a, is a very good weapon because it's a completion for the quarterback. He sees the throw being caught. And, you know, the, the, whoever the screen receiver is is in space, hopefully with blockers to, you know, just get some yards after catch, yards after contact. I, the screen game, I believe in the screen game, particularly if you're having trouble with pressure. A big way to slow it down is a screen game and, and draws, draws and screens. That goes back to, you know, Pop Warner football. So, yeah, it's just it, they have to be better with their execution. You know, get out in a timely fashion. If you if, if you don't – you know, thousand one, thousand two release. Get out in front of the screen. If if that gets boogered up somehow, you know you're out there with uh, with free runners at your at your receiver of the football, whoever that may be. It's just just like any other play. It has to be well coordinated, timed right, executed properly. And Detroit's done a much better job of it, I think, to this point than the Bengals have. I'd like to see that trend reverse this week. Dustin writes the following: It looks like the pass rush win rate is among the lowest in the league. Does that align with what you're seeing, and is it a concern long-term? I looked it up. That's an ESPN stat. They have the Bengals number 28 in the NFL in pass rush win rate, even though the Bengals have a respectable sack total of 14. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting, you know, because I, I, I like the, the pass rush win rate, I think, can be subjective. I think, you know... Um, Sacks, obviously, they're either on the ground or they're not. I do like sacks per pass attempt. Sometimes raw sacks don't really show because, you know, you look at it, the, the Detroit Lions, again, for example, have 11 sacks. Uh, that's tied for 13th in the NFL. Their sack per pass attempt is sixth, though, because, you know, the, the, the opposition, they've only thrown the ball 135 times, and they've got 11 sacks, whereas, you know, uh, uh, the Bengals side of it, the Bengals have, uh, on, on the year, have 13 sacks, which is tied for ninth in the NFL, but their, their sack per pass attempt is, is, at, uh, is 13th in the league because the opposition has thrown 195 times. So it's, it's the ratio. How many times you're getting them on the ground as opposed to how many times they're putting the ball in the air. Um, do, do I think that the pass rush has been inconsistent as well? Yes, <laughs> I do. I mean, I think there have been 
There have been games where the pass rush has been a significant factor on a, on a very high percentage of snaps. Um, in this football game against the Green Bay Packers, I should say, the last football game they had against the Packers, you had an unusual guy in that his first move is to retreat. He'll, he'll, back, up ten, he'll back up as much as 10 yards because of his arm strength. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about adding that distance. Um, he's, he's a little bit of a nightmare to have your win-pass rush rate uh, be, a, be a, that high and that effective. But in my mind, if, if I don't know how – it's subjective, how, however they do the grading. If in, in, in my mind, if a guy is beaten uh, in, in less than three seconds, that was a, a win-pass rush rate by the defensive lineman even if you didn't get the quarterback off the spot. If you got the quarterback off the spot, that's, that's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, can, can the pass rush uh, win rate improve? Heck yeah, just like everything else in this defensive football team. This question comes from Tom. What are your thoughts on Trey Hopkins? It seems he's playing poorly. Is it physical, limitations after his knee injury, or reps needed to get him in a groove? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, you know, physically, and like you said, uh, after certain, that's all related. I mean, you, you, this, you have to remember this guy um, had an ACL reconstruction. He tore it in January. Joe Burrow played 10 games. Trey Hopkins played all the games. He played 16, and he had it done in January. Joe had it done in October. Um, December uh, for Joe, okay. for the surgery. Yeah, December surgery. Yep. And so Trey's was, you know, like a full month later. Um, so... You know, if that four weeks is a, is a big deal. Um, you know, and, and, and look at it, looking at it, everybody's concerned. Uh, you know, Joe gets some pile, Joe gets this, Joe gets that. I, I can tell you, as an offensive lineman, you're, you're, there's so much pressure, leverage, pounding that goes on your legs. And then you're in cotton piles. You might be caught awkwardly in piles. And for him to be doing what he's doing is, is really crazy. Remarkable, I think. I mean, I, I tip my cap to the guy. Now, is he playing like he played before he had the ACL reconstruction? No. Can he play like he played uh, after the re- ACL reconstruction? Yeah. And I do think repetition. He's had he's had his down games and he's rebounded and had better games. He's up and down from a consistency uh, factor as well. And and I think the more reps he gets, the the better he's going to be. But I I just I have nothing but plaudits for him for doing what he's doing. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's a heck of a teammate. Uh, he'll sacrifice everything he needs to sacrifice for the betterment of the football team. And I'll, I'll take all the Trey Hopkins I can get. This question comes from Eric and has to do with the other team's center. How significant is the loss of Frank Ragnow for Detroit? I think it's big. Frank Ragnow is the guy that I was hoping would come here to Cincinnati and he, the pick before he goes to Detroit, um, and he's he made the Pro Bowl. He's made the Pro Bowl. Uh, he's he's long, strong. <laughs> he's a, he's a very good player. Uh, so yeah, that toe injury is is definitely a factor. But I, I will say, the Green Bay Packers had a patchwork offensive line, and I thought that they performed very admirably. Uh, definitely well enough to win the football game since they won it. They executed the techniques that the offensive line coach wanted them to execute the way he wanted them to execute them. And the old line coach and the, and the players were on the same page, and they played well. That offensive line as a unit played well. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sleep on anybody 
<laughs> anybody's backup players. Uh, because if you're if you're on a roster in the National Football League, you're good enough to play. And, and players that aren't starting are waiting for an opportunity to show they belong. So don't take anything for granted. Brad asks, should we be concerned with the number of snaps the defense has played through five games? I think that's a I think that's a legitimate concern. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, I think, and that's four three and outs in six possessions in the first half. If you, if you're a defensive player, that it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, we barely have time over here to make uh, adjustments on the grease board between series. You know, it's like, no, oh, no, forget it. We'll talk about it the next. Get get up, get ready. They're punting the football. Oh my gosh, again, that 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 uh, that complimentary football is huge. And they're not playing good enough complimentary football yet. And I totally, totally agree with that. That, that uh, the defense has to take pressure off the offense and limit their number of snaps. I, 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 I mean, the offense has to take pressure off the defense, limiting the number of snaps there. Um, I, I think when you consider all of that, I think that makes the defense performance even that much more remarkable. You know, I think that the for them to have enough gas in the tank to make stops they make at the end of football games, I think is is, is admirable to say the least you know and uh they, they have a they have a never say die attitude that, that defense is a <laughs> extremely resilient uh on an individual player basis and collectively as a football team they're not gonna they're not gonna quit on you nine times the green bay packers had the ball inside the bengals 40 yard line they scored two touchdowns are you kidding me with aaron Rodgers, 22 points mm-hmm. if you hold him to 22 points in a game you gotta win that football game regular you know, in the regulation time, 25 points with the field goal after the, the tremendous exhibition of misses that took place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final Ask Lap question comes from Dan H., as in me. I said on Twitter this week that it would be really cool if Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell did a jersey swap after the game. I think Bengals' Twitter would explode <laughs> if that happened. Here's my question. Do you ever get another player's jersey? You know, we didn't even do think about that, you know? I mean, um, I honestly, I would have done that. I would have gotten a bunch of players' mm-hmm. jerseys. I literally, the first time I was on a, the same football field as Joe Namath, I was like, star, I wanted to have my autograph book out there. I was starstruck. The first time, um, you know, lined up against Bob Lilly, I was like, are you kidding me? This is my boyhood idol. I was just staring at him like, wow, that's Bob <laughs> Lilly. Oh, my God. What am I doing out here? I mean, I wanted to have, you know, my autograph book. So I would have just uh, – I wouldn't expect them to want my jersey, but I would have collected as many as I could if that tradition were were back in the day. And, uh, yeah, just – I wish I had a few of them, to tell you the truth. I'm going to bring this to the broadcast world. I'm going to swap golf shirts with the other team's announcers <laughs> after we call the games. What do you th- What do you think of that? I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Maybe use some intensified tie to make sure they're clean, huh? <laughs> hey, Mister Musburger, can I have your shirt? I'm sure that's going to go over well. Well, Dan, I think <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty good. That's that's real good. I like that. Now time to take a closer look at this week's opponent. There are four current NFL franchises that have never made it to the Super Bowl. The Browns, Jaguars, Texans, and Lions. Detroit has one playoff win since 1957. The team is in rebuilding mode again under new head coach Dan Campbell, 
And Lap and I were joined on the Bengals Game Plan Show this week by the host of the Locked On Lions podcast, Matt Derry. I started our conversation by asking Matt where the 0-5 Lions are weakest. Well, first and foremost, I mean, they just can't finish games. I mean, you guys all saw it a couple of weeks ago. They had the Ravens, uh, you know, beaten, and then Justin Tucker kicks like a, an 80-yard field goal uh, to beat them, which is just classic Lions. And then this past weekend, um, you know, they just couldn't get over the hump at the end of the game. The offense is not very good. Jared Goff is very low-rated when it comes to quarterbacks. They're not putting up a ton of points. Uh, receiver-wise, you look at the Bengals roster and you go, oh, my gosh, it's like, you know, you, you make a poster and put it up on a kid's wall of the receivers that you have. And then the Lions receivers, nobody's ever heard of. It's a really poor, poor young group, but it's not very good. Um, so, you know, mix that with a roster that was very depleted to start the year. And then you take the best player off the offense, Frank Ragnow, a pro bowler, a center, but he's the best player they have. He's out for the year. Their best defensive player, Romeo Quara, defensive end, out for the year. On a rebuilding team, that's tough. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, after the game, Dan Campbell was, was uh, vulnerable and emotional. If he had been coaching in the game the Bengals played with five missed kicks in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and overtime, he would have needed a box of Kleenex. I mean, he would have been crying alligator tears the way that thing <laughs> finished. It, it, it was it was emotional roller coaster. Dan was, you know, what what are they doing? What are they struggling with? I guess my question would be, what are they doing best? If there's something they're doing best, can you can you name a couple things? Well, Dave, let me say this. First and foremost, everybody nationally, of course, is going to jump all over this Dan Campbell crying thing. And look, everybody jumped all over Dan Campbell's first press conference when he said right. the team was going to bite people's kneecaps. Uh, I liked it, and I'll tell you why. The last couple of years and the last couple of coaches that have come through Detroit – Jim Caldwell was a very good man, and the players loved him, but he never told you anything. He never showed you any emotion. He was stoic. Matt Patricia was just a phony, all right? Matt Patricia was a phony. This guy is crying after week five. I get why people can jump all over him and say, if you're going to cry in October, what happens if you're 0-11 in November or December? But the players have rallied around him. The problem that he has, and you know this, Dave, as a former player, you have to have players. You can have the greatest coach in the world. You can have Vince Lombardi. You can have Chuck Noll. Uh, you can have Sam Weish. Whoever it is, you got to have material. And he, did, you know, Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes, the new general manager, just haven't inherited a roster that's very good. And so players like Quandre Diggs and Darius Slay and T.J. Lang and Golden Tate and Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford, they're all gone. And they didn't win with those guys. So how do you expect to win with Jared Goff and some cast of characters and you asked me the question, I mean, you know, this weekend you're going to have two undrafted free, three, I'm sorry, undrafted free agent rookies having to guard your receivers. Uh, Bobby, uh, uh, Bobby Price, Jerry Jacobs, and A.J. Parker. None of those guys were drafted this year, and they're all playing and starting. So that's a tough, that's a tough thing for any defensive coordinator or head coach when UDFAs are, are all over your secondary. We are chatting with Matt Derry. He is the host of the Locked On Lions podcast. In the first two weeks of the year, the Lions gave up 41-35. and 35. Since then, the defense seems to be playing pretty well. 19 points, 24 points, 19 points last three games. I look at this roster on defense. I don't really know these guys, except for uh, linebacker Derek Barnes, who's from here. But of the, of the guys they're trotting out there right now, who's good? 
Tracy Walker's coming on. Their strong safety has really, really had a great game the other day against the Vikings. Uh, I've been a little bit hard on him because I know how talented he is, and I thought he regressed in year two last year. But he's starting to come on, and that's a guy number 21 that Bengals fans should watch. Charles Harris has come around the edge over the last four games and has a sack a game, which is, has been nice. Uh, Onzerike and McNeil in the middle, two rookies that they're expecting a lot, of, a, a lot out of have, have improved. Alex Anzalone is, is kind of a throwback linebacker with long hair, wears the C on his, on his uniform as a good leader. It's, it's not a great defense by any stretch of the imagination, but I like what, what Aaron Glenn is doing scheme-wise. There's more zone being played. Remember, when Patricia was here for three years, it was, we're going to play man and we're going to do it the Patriot way. And it's like, hey, bro, like you don't, you don't have the guys to do it. You're throwing Jeffrey Okuda, a rookie, and having him play man against Devontae Adams in his first game last year. That was coaching malfeasance. So now at least they're zoning up a little bit. They're showing some quarterbacks different looks. And there were times, I couldn't even believe it, this past Sunday where Kirk Cousins looked a little confused. So that's been good. I think it's been a mix of scheme and guys kind of playing with a chip on their shoulder. But, no, Dan, you're right. There's nobody on this, on this defense. Trey Flowers makes $18 million a year, but I don't think he's a great defensive end. But he's a name that people know. He played for the Patriots. But it's not, this is not a Pro Bowl a caliber defense uh, yet. So you talked about Jared Goff. Obviously, the knock on him with the Rams, turnover machine. 29 interceptions over the last two seasons. His interceptions are down. He's only got three. But he's fumbled the ball six times and lost four of them. Wow. I mean, yeah. what, what, the heck, what the heck's going on? He's got no ball security in the pocket. Is it in the pocket, out of pocket? Why is he fumbling the ball so much? You know, it's funny. I talked to some people in, in, in L.A. Uh, about golf, and they said his hands are small. And I said, okay, so? <laughs> it's like, but then every game, Dave, he fumbles it in a key spot. And these aren't fumbles like at the 50 on a third and 10. These are fumbles inside the other team's 10-yard line, inside the other team's 20. When they've moved the ball, they're killers inside the red zone. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it's baffling. I knew. I was not one of these people that said, oh, Jared Goff's been to a Super Bowl. He's won more playoff games than Matthew Stafford. He's better. Right. Wrong. I didn't think that. But I, I just I figured he'd be better. Now, again, his receiving core isn't very good, and teams are double and triple teaming Hawkinson. So Goff's a little bit you know, uh, stunted in his growth in that department. But, my goodness, he threw a pick, a pick this past Sunday in a triple coverage. Eric Kendricks made a great play, but it just is one of those throws where you went, you don't need to try to thread the needle there. You know, try to roll out and make something happen. He's not one of these guys that on a third – if it's third and two against the Bengals' defense, the way the Bengals' defense is playing, he looks at one guy and tries to make that throw. And that's why you've got to go, if that one guy's not open, i got to maybe move the pocket and scramble or make a run. He just doesn't do that. And, and it's a, I think I've been – I'll be honest, I've been disappointed in his play. I didn't expect all pro, but, geez, you got to you got to do better than this. Everybody in Allen Park, though, tells me at the Lions facility – He's been a great leader. The guys are, are rallying around him. But I, I doubt that this Sunday, if he plays poorly, that David Blau is going to come in and they're going to make a change. I think golf is there for this year, and then they'll look at the draft and maybe get uh, maybe get uh, Dan's buddy Desmond Ritter or something. Ha, there you go. Third down. Really good defensively on third down. Uh, they've only allowed 15 conversions, second fewest in the NFL. 
30.6%, second, fewest, uh, second lowest in the NFL. They've only been in 49 third downs. So are people crushing them on first and second down? I mean, do they need to get people to third down more? And then third and one to four. That's been a problem for the Bengals. Last week they were horrible on third and one to four. Packers been there eight times, only giving up two conversions. 25% leads the NFL. What's the deal on third down? And what's the deal on first and second down where they're not getting people to third down as much as they'd like to? Well, I'll say this. Last week against the Vikings, I was I was stupefied by Clint Kubiak, who, who on every single second down ran the football for the Vikings. And look, I get it. Dalvin Cook was injured, but he's good, obviously great. Alexander Madison is no slouch, but on every second down, Dave, they ran. It didn't matter if it was second and 19 or second and one. And so the Lions were like, oh, second down. Well, we know they're going to run, so they stacked the box. So I think that inflated the numbers a little bit. I think people will tell you, again, Aaron Glenn has done a nice job with the scheme. I'm not quite sure as to why this is. Uh, there have been some big plays made against the Lions secondary this year, so uh, those have been on first down play-action passes. You know, Dan and I talked on my show the other day about Joe Burrow and the intermediate passes, but if I'm Burrow this week, I'm taking some shots downfield. Manio Ruarie, they're really their best corner left, has been pretty good and he's got good size, but I'd be picking on a guy like Jerry Jacobs or Bobby Price and, and trying to go deep. Teams, for some reason, haven't been doing that because the Lions have had their safety so deep. But like Will Harris, the Lions' free safety, I don't think it's very good. So I would take some shots deep. We saw this in the Steeler preseason game with Deontay Johnson. We saw this with uh, early in the year with Devo Samuel. So uh, that might be a little bit of where that's at. There have been some play-action throws on first downs that have gotten um, – where the Lions just haven't, haven't even gotten to third down. But like we said, the, the defense has improved. I'm just not sure how they're doing it. Our thanks to Matt Derry, and here's a quick reminder to tune in to the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Download it now from the App Store and Google Play. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.